sometimes you just want to stop, don't you, in God's presence and just enjoy the moment. I don't want to interrupt what he's doing. <laughs> it's just always good to have our eyes up looking at Jesus, isn't it? Really been enjoying our journey through Galatians. And I'm really looking forward to this morning. Well, I already know what's coming. And I know we've got a feast in store. Um, but I just want to welcome Jeannie up because I'm conscious that some of you might not know Jeannie. So I just wanted to introduce her. Um, and I know she, so we shared just before the service about coming up after singing out exultly, didn't we? Just wanting to be in that moment. And, uh, yeah. and it was there. <laughs> Jeannie, it's really lovely to welcome you and Malcolm as well. Um, just tell us how long you've been with us at CBC now. So we've been coming about 15 months. Um, but up until last September, uh, I was moderating a church in Woodmanston, helping them to find a new minister um, so we were quite up and down um, there. So, but the, since September, we've been able to be more rooted here, which has been lovely. Yeah, and, and tend to come to the first service. So that's why I think men, many of you might not have met Jeannie yet, unless you come to Songs of Praise, because Jeannie kindly spoke at Songs of Praise in January, didn't you? So some of you will recognise that. And also, a while back, we did um, plug your books that you've written. It so, is, thank you. So um, one of the strings to your bow is an author, um, a moderator we've just heard. Um, so tell us a, just a little bit more about yourself um, because for some of us that we know moderator means something to do with being a Baptist minister perhaps. So, yeah, <laughs> so tell I, us a little bit about, about what you've done. Um, <laughs> so I was a Baptist minister um, for 20 something years until going freelance as I call it retiring but I call it going yes, freelance. Yes I said retired in the earlier service and I got but I like freelance. I think we should all go freelance and not Absolutely. retire, Because <laughs> yeah. it still feels, to be honest, quite busy, but in lovely ways. That, and you get to choose maybe a bit more. Yeah. Um, but before that, I've, I've done all sorts of secondary school teaching, set up and run a coffee shop on the high road for evangelism. And, um, yeah, I've done all sorts, hence all the grey hairs. Um, <laughs> but currently um, enjoying lots of time with the grandchildren, which is why we moved down here. Yeah. Um, writing, um, and I do teach an online module for Spurgeons as well, just to so, keep me So you definitely haven't going. retired, have you, really? <laughs> <laughs> We're absolutely delighted that you're here, Jeannie, and willing to um, share God's word with us uh, this morning. We look forward to what you're going to bring you. to us. So can I pray for you? And of then, course. Yeah. Father, we thank you so much for bringing Jeannie and Malcolm to us, and uh, we look forward, Lord, to getting to know them and... and uh, blessing them as they bless us, as they share their gifts with us. And we thank you so much for Jeannie this morning. And we just pray now, Lord, that you'd settle her heart, that she would uh, see your gaze of love upon her, that she would know that she's your child. And uh, listening to her father this week as she's prepared now to share with us her brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that we would have heads, hearts, feet ready to respond to all that you uh, speak to us about today. And Lord, we pray your anointing on Jeannie. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kay. And thank you to Lawrence and the team for leading us so beautifully in worship. So travel back in time with me, if you can bear it, to Saturday the 10th of December last year. Some of you now are frantically thinking what on earth happened then. England are playing in the quarterfinal of the World Cup in Qatar. France are leading by two goals to one. But in the 84th minute, a penalty uh, gives England the opportunity to equalise and so take the match into extra time. 
the normally reliable Captain Harry Kane steps forward and, to everyone's horror, boots the ball over the goal. England are essentially and were, in fact, out of the World Cup. Now, I'm not wanting to make you either relive a trauma or bore you, depending on your view of football. What matters for our topic today is what happened next. As other England players despaired, 19-year-old Jude Bellingham sprinted across the pitch to console his distraught captain. Now, of course, Harry Kane had simply made a mistake, hadn't he? He'd made a miskick in the kind of stress of the moment. And so perhaps the thoughtful care for his teammate came quite easily to Bellingham, even though it involved overcoming his own disappointment. But what about someone who's been involved in deliberate wrongdoing? Some years ago, I worked with a colleague who had the most incredibly strong sense of being loved by God. Nothing shifted that. No matter what was happening, he knew that God loved him. On one occasion, I asked him how he managed to be so secure. Some of us perhaps struggle a little bit more with that. And immediately he answered, it's easy. I have crashed and burned and been restored. And that was indeed his story. Now, before Kay or Chris, if he's listening later, panic, please do not mishear me. I'm not suggesting that any of us deliberately make a moral mess up in order to understand God's love better. We all regularly fail to live as Jesus wants us to all the time, don't we? We don't need to set out to do that. We've been looking in Galatians at the topic of grace something that we talk about a lot in churches, but perhaps don't always fully understand. I love what Max Lucado says about it. He says this, God's grace has a drenching about it, a wildness about it, a white water riptide turn you upside downness about it. Grace comes after you. And his summary, grace is everything, Jesus. Last week, Chris was talking to us about the radical work which Jesus wants to do in building every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit into our lives. In our passage today, Paul spells out a few specific aspects of what living out this grace-filled life actually looks like. Let's read it from Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 through to 10. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The media loves, doesn't it, and I think this is tragic, to recount times when celebrities have a moral disaster. They almost, it seems, delight in it. But how should we deal with that if it happens in the church family? At the end of chapter 5, Paul has spelt out how we should not treat each other if we live in the spirit, not competing ourselves, not, sorry, not comparing ourselves with others in a proud way, not envying others in the church family, not getting into disputes. Now he's turning to how we should treat each other, which is summarized in verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We all have burdens. I think we need to say that because sometimes it can feel, looking from the outside of people's lives, as though some people just sail blissfully and easily through the Christian life. Wave at me if you do. This is very reassuring to me because I don't either. The truth is nobody does, do they? Our burdens may come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and they do vary through our lives but none of us are exempt. And Paul makes clear here that God does not want us to carry them on our own. If we're honest, some of us try to and find it hard to accept help. I do. Um, I always want to muscle through and manage myself. But God doesn't want us to be gritting our teeth and saying we're fine when actually we're not. If we do that, we actually deprive other people of the joy of helping us. Yes, we can and we should cast our cares onto God, but often his love is expressed through others. Paul was keen for them to understand that fulfilling the law of Christ wasn't through all the nitty-picky rules that the Galatians had got tripped into thinking about, but caring for each other. So Paul goes on to give the Galatians, and so us, a practical example of what this looks like. Somebody, and his language suggests he's meaning it generally rather than he's got someone or a specific situation in his mind, is caught in a sin. Well, that's how it's usually translated, but actually that's not the best way to understand it. That kind of implies that someone's literally caught red-handed, you know, in the middle of doing something. Or caught out, if you like. But actually, the word means stuck like someone being stuck in mud or even quicksand. It's that sort of caught, caught in briars and brambles so that we can't find a way to get out. Something's gone wrong and it comes to our attention. How do we respond? Well, we can ignore it. Not really any of our business, what's going on. We can keep quiet, but perhaps silently sit up on our moral high ground, being rather glad that it's not us. We can gossip to our friends, 
for prayer, of course. Or we could just tell Chris and Kay, after all, it's their job. No, says Paul. We are to restore them, a medical term which refers to setting a broken limb so it can heal or putting right a dislocation. We are all to be a part, Paul is saying, of the healing and help that comes. Now, how that happens is going to vary, of course, on the situation. But it always starts, as Jesus makes clear in Matthew 18, verse 15, with a private conversation. Paul says, too, that this is an outworking of living in the Spirit. And so it should be done displaying one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that he spoke about in chapter 5, gentleness. We need to remember that but for God's lavish grace, it could easily be us. We give the grace to others that we ourselves always need. The thing that we spot in another person that's gone wrong, the thing that has them caught, trapped, may not be a huge or even a very obvious sin. Some years ago, I became really cynical about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, to be honest, it was from a sense that everybody else seemed to be being blessed in various ways and with various gifts, except for me. I felt left out. A good friend came to me and gently said that my negativity was hurting her. It was bruising her spirit. That was really hard to hear. She was and is a good friend. But it led to me saying sorry to her, saying sorry to God, dealing with my envy of others and their gifts, and opening myself afresh to the Spirit. She loved me enough to want the very best for me. Although we're called to support each other, we are, Paul says, to carry our own burden. It's kind of a word that means like a soldier's pack that we carry ready for the spiritual battle. There's a difference, he's therefore saying, between carrying others' heavy burdens and what we should carry ourselves. We need to take responsibility for our own relationship with God. Our prayer life, our reading of the Bible, all that we do to build our lives in Jesus, to become closer to him, that's our responsibility, Paul is saying. But we are also to give and to receive support for the tough stuff that life inevitably sends us. Can you hear that difference? We take responsibility for getting close to Jesus, but we give and share support for life. If the first part of the passage is about burden-bearing, the second is about sowing and reaping. And the summary comes in verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I love gardening, but if you don't, please don't switch off at this point, because I do hope that it will help you. When we moved here just over a year ago, the garden was in quite a state, and it will be a very long project. But one of the things that Malk has kindly done is to build me a raised bed with lovely, fresh soil. If I hadn't planted anything, the soil would have saved, stayed empty. 
And I know that what I plant is what will come up because there was nothing there to start with. But other parts of the garden are much more tricky. Decades of neglect mean that the earth, which actually looks all right, is underneath choked with ivy roots and dominated by dead conifers. It's going to take a lot of work to clear and plant there. Life in the spirit, Paul is saying, is like a garden or a farmer's field. The fruit of the spirit that he's mentioned is not going to automatically grow. We can fool ourselves that our life is growing well, but God is not fooled. We can disguise the spiritual ivy roots that are growing with a layer of compost. We can say the right things in church. We can sing with gusto. But what is really happening in the soil of our lives? When we become Christians, we all get, if you like, fresh soil, a new heart. But the weeds creep back. And sometimes we need to work hard with the Holy Spirit to, let, to clear the ground for his beautiful fruit to grow. Now, any of you who hate gardening have now switched off completely. So let's take a look at three applications that Paul makes to what he's saying. First of all, in verse 6, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Anyone who teaches others in the faith, whether that's in the Sunday school and youth groups that have left us, whether that's in house groups or Sunday services, Paul says clearly should receive our support. That might be by prayer, by practical support, by sending an encouraging note or text, or of course sometimes by being paid to free people for the tasks of ministry. Now there's a lot that I could say here, but one thing I think that's really important. Whatever our roles, we are all equally of value, working in partnership together for the gospel. There is no hierarchy where some people are more important than others. Every single one of us is equally valued by God in what he calls us to. And then secondly, in verse 8, whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. In chapter 5, Paul talked about the flesh, our natural broken selves, battling with the Spirit. Do you remember the grim list that Chris read out and said, no more, because it's kind of all the things we don't want to see in our lives. Here he talks about the need for us to choose what we plant. We are profoundly affected by our past. And sometimes we need help to deal with the effects of it. But in God, we can find new ways to be and new ways to live. Part of that, sometimes the beginning of that, is making good choices. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Paul would have been going, yep, <laughs> amen, I think, to those words. What we read, what we watch, what we spend our time thinking about 
what we, time, uh, what we spend our money on, all of those things which we do, the choices that we make in those and other areas will work for good or for ill in our spiritual lives. And then finally, in verses four to, uh, 9 to 10, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, is it just me, or is living for Jesus jolly hard work? Nobody seems to, (laughs) perhaps it is just me. (laughs) Do you ever feel like just having a day off from being a Christian? It's hard, isn't it? You know, we see the news or circumstances in the lives of those we love and those around us, and it's really hard to keep our hearts soft, to keep them compassionate. Sometimes we just want to say, you know, enough. Um, It's hard work. I think Paul understood that feeling, and so he gives the Galatians and us an incentive. There will be a harvest, he says, if we keep at it. He doesn't actually say what that harvest is. And I think maybe that's for our own good, so that we're not on the lookout for the harvest all the time, but rather concentrating on keeping on doing the good and leaving the rest, the results, to God. So as we close, some final challenges to each of us. At this point of our lives, who is God calling us to support And how? Now, it may be at this point in our lives that actually we're the ones that need to receive support for all kinds of reasons. And that's good too. You know, we need to be humble enough and honest enough to allow others to help us. But in my experience, often even when people are needing the help themselves, somehow God also puts across their path those that they can support and help in some way or another. And then are the things that we need to clear from our lives so that the better things God has for us can grow? Are there those spiritual ivy roots that have got a hold and we need to let God's spirit dig them out because he has better things for us? And what are we sowing and reaping in our lives and the lives of those around us? What are the choices that we are making? What seeds are we sowing? that Jesus can then go on and grow into something beautiful for his glory. Let's pray together. Let's take a moment to reflect. I've spoken lots of different words, but what counts is what is God saying to each of us? What's his heart for you and for me this morning? As I was preparing, I did feel as though there was someone who felt stuck. But I felt also that God was saying, you know, I know. I understand. Let me come alongside and untangle things. And he does that lovingly and gently. And sometimes it means us reaching out and saying, we need help.
And then there's a challenge for all of us to live lives of love and grace. Holy Spirit, I pray simply that you would come to each of us afresh this morning. Fill us with the love that you are calling us to give. And I want to pray that too for us as a church community here. We thank you for all the love that certainly we see expressed. But we know there's always room to grow. So Lord, would you help us to love one another well? To carry each other's burdens well? Knowing that that love then can spill out into this community too. So yes, come Holy Spirit to us as a community afresh. And Jesus, always we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we can never kind of get beyond your grace. It's immeasurable. It's lavish. So help us as we reflect on all that you're saying to us to receive that love, that grace, that mercy afresh so that we can live lives for your glory. Amen.